Hello and welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, their career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. If you're a fan of great TV shows, then you already know Laura Prepon. She starred for eight seasons on That 70s Show as the sweet, funny girl next door, Donna Pinciotti. And she's appeared in shows including Castle, House, How I Met Your Mother, and Are You There, Chelsea? She was also part of the streaming media binge-watching revolution, helping to turn Netflix into a media powerhouse with Orange is the New Black. But Laura Prepon isn't just a TV star. She's also been in several movies, including The Girl on the Train and The Hero. She's worked as a director on three episodes of Orange is the New Black, and she directed and edited her own YouTube series called Neighbros. On top of that, she's a New York Times bestselling author. A quick note, because of COVID-19 and shelter in place, our conversation was recorded over Zoom. I'm in Silicon Valley, and Laura spoke with me from her home in New York. So be prepared for a few audio quirks. So I want to start by asking you, how are you and your family doing? Well, we have a newborn. So we had already planned on taking this time to really isolate and bond as a family with our newborn and our toddler. So we had already planned on being in our own version of quarantine, but for a very different reason. Um, and now with everything that's been going on with this, you know, unprecedented situation that's happening, we're just trying to stay informed and not let that really scare us because it's scary watching the news and staying informed. And we're just trying to find levity where we can and make sure our children don't feel any of the anxiety that staying informed can be causing. And we're just trying to stay upbeat and laugh when we can, because if, if it's not, it's just too much doom. <laughs> you know, It's just, it's very um, scary what's going on right now. So we're just trying to find levity and bond as a family. So your refrigerator was already stocked. <laughs> Pretty much. That's <laughs> funny enough. It, it was because we had planned on having this, you know, this six weeks um, because I knew that I was going to be promoting my book. So we kind of already were prepared to be just kind of in our homes for a little while. Well, that is fortuitous timing and congratulations because I know you also have a daughter who is what, two and a half, two three? And a half. She's two and a half. And then we have a newborn who's just about six weeks old or so. Well, congratulations on that. Thank uh, that, you. That's exciting and uh, interesting and hectic. It's wonderful, I will, yeah. I'm going to ask you about when we talk about your new book. But before I get there, it's pretty safe to say that there are a lot of people around the world, especially here in the U.S., who are watching a lot of shows on streaming services these days. Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, CBS All Access, you name it. You were at the very beginning of all of that with Orange is the New Black, which I don't know if a lot of people know was came out before House of Cards, I believe. And so I'm curious, what did you think about this world that you were entering? You had done TV with the 70s show, but you moved into this role on a for Netflix, which was not, this is way back in what, 2002, 12, 2013? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very different today, but what did you think of it at the time? Well, we didn't, Netflix, as you just explained, was not as we know Netflix to be. When we, before we had aired, there was, nobody knew what Netflix was, and it, uh, they had a show called Lilyhammer that was on the air. 
and House of Cards haven't aired yet. And the reason, I, I mean, I was already a fan of Jenji Cohans who wrote and created the show. I loved her work already. And when I read her script, I knew it was something I needed to be a part of. And I've had the good fortune to be in my industry for over 20 years and I love my job. And I've always been material first, you know, that's one of my, it's always does the material speak to me and that's my door in. And this pilot was so amazing, even though I had no clue what Netflix was, the pilot and the role of Alex Voss was just, it was one of those kismet things and I just felt it in my gut and I knew I needed to do it. And then it just became, no one can ever, it, you know, you can't ever try to, it's like catching lightning in a bottle, what happened with Orange is the New Black and the meteoric rise it had. Um, all of the amazing social issues we took on, all of the women that were portrayed on that show, all like it was just so incredible. And you can never expect that to happen. It's just magical when it does, and that's what happened with Orange is the New Black. And we, yes, uh, we came, us and Netflix was like this beautiful partnership that just, you know, really we were like pioneers on a new frontier we helped mold how people consume their entertainment now, especially now with the self-isolation and the social distancing. But it's, um, it's a wonderful thing to have been a part of that and, and be on that, you know, frontier with them. It's, it's incredible. That's such a gift. Has it changed the way that you consume entertainment? Obviously we're all at home. Are you binge watching? I have a newborn, so I'm not big watching much of anything right now. But um, but in general, yes. Once we get the kids down, my husband and I like to have something that we're we're watching. But we tend toward nature shows. We love Planet Earth and basically anything with David Attenborough is what we tend towards. <laughs> okay, okay, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw a recent interview where you talked about the this is definitely a moment for streaming. Like if there was ever a moment made for streaming, this is this moment, but you don't want films and movies and that theater experience to go away. So talk a little bit about just as an artist and somebody who's been working in this field for a long time, what you think of the future of entertainment here, even in the short term. It's such a good question because nobody knows. And I remember reading some article with Francis Ford Coppola and I believe Spielberg and they, it was years ago and they were commenting on the fact that in they said in years from now like in five years time or something like that I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember it verbatim but in a nutshell they were basically saying that a lot of the way that people consume their entertainment is going to be streaming and then after streaming and once we're all doing that which here we are we're here now then the next thing that's going to happen is you're basically going to have going to the cinema and going to the theater is going to be an event where you pay a hundred bucks and you bring your family to go and it's like going to a broadway show no one has for you know no one could ever foresee COVID 19 happening and and seeing the complete disaster that it's causing across all industries so, but I can only speak to my industry, which is that already I was concerned about the state of cinema. And while streaming and being a part of something like Orange was such a gift, 
I still have to, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's cinema. Like you want the, I mean, that's what I study. That's what I love. I mean, the world of cinema is something that will always create. There will always be art, but, and I, and I do believe cinema is going to come back, but it is a scary thing to think about because already the statistics for people going to movies is lower because it's expensive to go to the movies with a family you know, each ticket's like 20 bucks and just to get a popcorn or whatever. I mean, it's, it's expensive now. If you, depending on what cinema you go to, that's a, that's a big night out for families to like bring up, bring themselves and their kids to the movies, get popcorn and snacks and all that stuff. I mean, that's like over a hundred bucks. So already I think that it was easier for people to stay home and stream something from home. Um, now with the, everything of, what COVID-19 is doing. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I really, truly don't. I hope that something will be figured out. But right now, nobody knows. I mean, nobody knows. Do I think it will come back? Yes. Do I think it's going to have a major impact? Of course. And I don't know what that's going to be. Well, I hope it's not uh, something that turns into $100 to go to the movie. I mean, I like the idea of dressing up and being entertained and People do that here in the Bay Area, the revival of Gone with the Wind. Everyone shows up as Scarlet. I love it, but I don't want to see that experience become even more uh, elite or, you know, exclusive, exclusive, if you will. Right. Um, I don't either. I don't either. And who who knows what's going to happen? I mean, we we really don't. But um, I, I, I hope not either, because there is something so special about going to the movies with your family and experiencing this, you know, I'm watching it on the big screen, you know, um, anyway, but we'll see. Only time will tell, truthfully. Only time will tell. You haven't been afraid to experiment yourself. I mentioned in my intro that you did a YouTube series, uh, Neighbors, on, uh, that, that what you wrote, you directed, you cut, what, you did everything. Like, tell us a little bit about what that was all about. Neighbors was this really fun project I did after I finished um, my film school. So I, when I was on my 70s show, I really wanted to be a director. So I, I tracked down this teacher and he put me through night school. So I took film school at night and I would film 70s show during, and I would go to work on that 70s show during the day. He ended up producing my second short film that I directed. And then after that, I just wanted to stay sharp. I, you know, because I was acting on different projects, I wanted to make sure that my directing stayed really sharp. So I created this little web series called Neighbors with two of my friends. They starred in it. It was about two guys who were neighbors and bros, hence Neighbors. And I directed it. I co-wrote it with them. I edited it by myself at night after I would finish work. And then we would just put them up on YouTube. But I got to tell you, Doing that show, number one, it was so much fun, and we did it for no money. We literally, we were just doing it for fun. And But I can't tell you how amazing it was, especially the editing. Doing the comedic editing, and yes, I was a one-woman crew. I would light, I would you know, prop a boom up on a chair. I was the sound person. I, would, I, did, I did everything on that. I was literally a one-woman crew, and then we would write it together, and it was a blast. And I remember... Um, directing an episode of Orange is the New Black and the crew because I, I, I would always hang out with the crew because I, I just I'm always fascinated by what they're doing and same with directing I would always hover around the directors 
and a couple of the crew guys came up to me and they were like, what's harder, Nabros or Orange is the New Black? And I'm like, honestly, Nabros, because I was a one-woman crew. I'm like, here, you guys, you know, I basically say what I want and you guys are helping me do it, you know? So, but it was such an amazing learning experience. And I got to tell you, as a director, editing on Nabros, my boots on the ground hour after hour after hour after hour, editing Nabros by myself and learning that and working on my timing and all that was a huge, um, a huge benefit to me. And I was self-taught. I had a couple friends come over and give me tips and tricks who were professional editors. And other than that, it was just hour after hour of editing. I cannot tell you how much that helped me because then as a director on a big thing, like Orange is the New Black, I'm editing in my head as we're going and directing that show. One of the biggest, while I absolutely loved it, one of the things was you're always against the clock on that show. Oh, I mean, directors are always against the clock anyway, but specifically on that show, because there were so many people in every scene and there was a lot of coverage to do, it was, you're, you were always on a clock. So the fact that I knew how to edit and by most of my editing was because of neighbors, I cannot tell you what an asset that was to me to be able to edit in my head as we're going. If we happen to fall behind, I knew what shots I could drop, which ones I knew were vital. So things like that were, was a very big help. So little things like that are something in my wheelhouse that I'm so happy that I did. Are you going to put more effort into directing going forward? You know, there's a, there's a lack of women directors or at least acknowledgement for women directors in Hollywood. You're absolutely right. Um, I... Yes, 100%. I'm already in pre-production on another project. Who knows when, you know, it's it'll be in the wake of everything that's happening with COVID-19. So we'll see what happens with that. But, um, but yes, before this pandemic hit, that was already something in motion. I'll never stop acting. I love acting, but directing is a huge part of my career. And I absolutely love it. So I'm definitely going to be doing more directing. And it is... I, it's interesting because people talk about how there are not enough female directors and also there aren't enough opportunities as well. And people think that because there's, they see a, a little bit more, like a few more female directors working that, Oh, you know, we're getting a good opportunity to, but it's still very, it's still very unbalanced. So we have to keep doing what we're doing to persevere in that regard because it is still extremely unbalanced with males and female directors. The name of this podcast is I'm So Obsessed. Uh, I I know you have a newborn, so I imagine you're obsessed with him, but is there something that you're obsessed about right now? I, oh boy, that, these are tough questions. Um, no, no, it's (laughs) right now besides, but yes, of course, besides my kids and my husband, um, right now I'm currently obsessed with trying to make frozen foods taste amazing. (laughs) Okay. The whole world can relate to the answer to this question. Yes. Are you successful? I'm working on it. I do things like green beans are so when you when frozen green beans are so different than regular fresh green beans and doing little things like trying to make them 
really great by turning them into green beans, almondine or something else, some kind of saute. Those are, that's my current obsession is trying to figure this out. That's what I'm currently obsessed with right now is how to make frozen food taste like you're not eating from the freezer. So, um, I want to talk and switch to your book, um, your new book, you and I as mothers, because you mentioned mom squad. And so I want you to tell people what a mom squad is, but also I want to tell you that that would also make a great YouTube, um, series right now with your mom squad cut with videos from across the web, because it's all about the content and no one is really as concerned with the bells and whistles in terms of the lighting. So anyway, tell us, what, <laughs> tell us what a mom squad is and why that is so important to what it means to be uh, a mother working or not. I mean, all mothers are working mothers. Don't get me wrong. No, um, look, stay at home, stay at home parents. It's just as hard. Well, first of all, a mom squad is a group of friends, mothers of all ages who have children of all ages, different backgrounds. Um, different upbringing, different everything. They're amazing. And one of the main reasons why I wanted the voice of my mom squad in my book was that not only do I share a bunch of personal vulnerable experiences that I have gone through thus far to open this dialogue about motherhood and to give different tools and tips and tricks and have these takeaways. One of the really important things for me was that I wanted not only mothers of all ages to be able to relate to the book. I want There's so many women, I can't even tell you, and, and their partners, there's so many people who've read this book over the last week since it's come out that have gotten, maybe they're not mothers yet, or maybe they choose not to become a mother, but they've gotten so much out of the book because myself, my mom squad speaks to these very relatable topics such as, uh, stress reduction techniques, loss of control, self-care. Yes, I touch on mom guilt. I talk a lot about in this specific chapter about how we have these kind of social norms that we fall into as mothers. But I have an entire chapter on nutrition, an entire chapter on keeping your partnership alive. There's so, you know, after kids are in the mix, making sure that you, you know, water that plant too. There's so many things in this book that speak to many different people, which is one of the most important reasons why I wanted my mom squad to speak to these subjects as well, so that any reader can read this and have see themselves in the book. That was very important to me. And to also, once they read the book, to leave with tools that they can put to use right away in their lives. That was very important to me. So I read your book and I thought one of the best pieces of advice as a working mother, my kids are older, but uh, I think came from your friend Mila Kunis, who said that when she goes off to work, she never makes it sound like she's doing something bad in front of her children. She tells them, hey, yay, mom's going off to work now. You're going to go do your thing. I'm going to go do my thing. So to positively reinforce that working is not a, a detraction. It's not taking away. It's not, you know, um, interfering with life. It's just part of the balance of life. So uh, I thought that spoke very powerfully to uh, women and modeling that kind of behavior. But um, obviously, it's your book, and you love all parts of it. But if there's one piece of advice that you want people to remember from it, what would it be? What's the TLDR on your book? <laughs> I mean, that uh, first of all, I'm so happy that that spoke to you, because that was so great. And look, there's things like that 
all over the book that um, not only do I selfishly love, because as I was talking to all these awesome women, sharing these things that I now get to share with you guys and the readers, um, that is so, that was awesome. So I'm so glad that that, that spoke to you um, because that was a big part of the book for me. So I, I don't know how to answer that question because there's so many things that I love about this book. I think probably off the top of my head, besides wonderful things like you just said, um, I in the chapter, How You Were Mothered, you can look back to how you were mothered and it really helps the reader analyze that because we all came from some other figure. We were all, we all have a relationship or not with that individual and that affects us in some way. I mean, how could it not? So for me to have to go back and really analyze that relationship with my mother and how I was mothered and how it affects me, not only as a mother, but as a person, I feel like that, that is an example of something that anybody can read that and relate to that and be empowered by, I don't have to, I can choose what I can take from my mother and what she handed down to me. Um, or my whatever parent it relates to you in that regard, you get to choose. And I wanted the reader to be empowered and you get to choose what you pass down to your kids. Or if you don't have children, you get to choose how that, what you put out in the world, what communication you put out in the world or how it affects you as a person. It's an empowering thing that it's our choice. And that's something that I never really dove into until I wrote this book. And there's so many things like that that were so eye-opening for me in the process of writing this book that I can't wait for people to get their hands on and, and feel that. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me and good luck with your book. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time and thank you for reading the book. And I'm so happy that it spoke to you. Thank you again, Laura Prepon, for taking time to talk with us. And thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, take care.